David Locke's weekly interview is brought to you by the Murdoch Auto Team. The radio voice of the jazz joins us now. David, good morning. Hello, David James. How are you? <laughs> I'm good. How are you? <laughs> good, Patrick Kinahan, my guy. Knuckles, baby. Knuckles, how are you? Oh, I'm living life, man. Just excited for Christmas. Excited for the NBA radio season to start. I like it. Vaccines. Got a friend in Utah. Got a vaccine yesterday. Things are looking up. They work in the medical industry, I assume? They do. Yeah. Yep. Okay. All right, let's get right to something that you have been screaming about for years. And now the Jazz, and, and they spent the last couple of years getting here. Three-pointers, baby. Three is more than two. Get open shots, get guys who can make them, and it's going to pay off. It's math. It's clear. The Jazz now look like they have more three-point shooters than they've ever had. And, of course, I don't mean three-point takers. I mean three-point makers, the legendary Jerry Sloan line. And the only guys who I don't trust to make the three are Gobert and Favors. So if they're on the floor together, then it's the old days. But the new days now, even from the start of last season – there are more three-point shooters. Are they're gonna make? They shot thirty-eight percent last year. They're gonna make threes. Do you think they're gonna make the threes when there's the most pressure? Do you think they can make threes in a game when it's a big game and it's going poorly? Then in the middle of the game, they're so talented, so confident, they can turn it around and make it happen. Because it seems like that's a stumbling block. Just in an average second quarter of a game, they're going to make three-pointers. But what about the, the biggest moments? What do you think? So, I mean, that's the Rockets question, right? Looking back at Daryl Morey and Mike D'Antoni and the Rockets, they have that incredible, what is it, 23 straight misses or whatever it was against the Warriors. That's the only reason we everyone in the league didn't do this. You know, Had they hit two of those in that stretch, probably, then they win that series, they go on to the finals, and then the whole league is doing what the Jazz are doing right now. Um, so yeah, that, you know, obviously you're, you're increasing some level of variance. Um, Quinn has said it very well. We want threes, but not at the expense of the rim. So I think we only took like nine free throws last night, which isn't great. But the fact is if an NBA team decides you're not shooting at the rim, they can, they can do it. Like you're not getting shot to the rim. Basically, Milwaukee did that last year. They allowed 28% of opposing shots at the rim. That's that's a crazy low number if you just kind of go through the way the game works. They just committed to not letting you get to the rim, and there's a bunch of teams that did that. And the Clippers, who last year were 25th in the league at denying shots at the rim, that's clearly the defensive flaw that they're trying to fix because they put Zubak and they put uh, Kevin Gelly at the rim all night, and you couldn't get to the rim. In the second quarter, when the Jazz ran away from the game, I think they took nine of ten shots as threes at one point. They weren't getting to the rim. Like, they did in the open court. Donovan got there on a fast break and got fouled, and, and Rudy, I think, got got something in an early offense and got fouled, and that's the only way you're getting to the rim is if you get out in front of the defense. But once it was set in the half court with the Clippers' length and their big men, you had no choice but to do exactly what the Jazz did, and that's going to be a regular occurrence. Teams, you know, the math is equally the same. The math says if you deny a shot at the rim and the rim shot is 1.4 points per shot and the best they can get is a three that's a 1.15 or 1.2, then that's a huge defensive advantage. So that's what we're seeing happen on a nightly basis right now in the NBA. What is the point for the quick shot in the early shot clock? What's going on there? 
I think the feeling is that we're such good shooters that if you get an early open look, it's actually probably the best look you're going to get. And the data shows that to be true. Um, that, you know, shot, shot percentage early in the shot clock is usually better. Now, we're, we've been the antithesis of that data. Quinn's offense and the picks and the execution and how well we run things have actually led us to be one of the only teams in the league that in the middle of the shot clock, we've been as good as we are in the early shot clock. So we have to be a little careful there. If you notice, like, Quinn talks about we're not going to play fast for the sake of playing fast. We're going to push it ahead up the sidelines, particularly um, the side. If you, and, and they're really systematic about it this year. And I think that's where the mass, the improvement's going to be. You're coming up the sideline. It allows Rudy or Derek to run the middle. It allows a skip pass to the other side, to the other wing that's running. And you move the pass forward up the sideline with some alacrity and you're ahead of the defense. And that should give you some really good looks. And then Joe Ingles or whoever the last man down is, is suddenly dropping into a trailing three that's a heck of a good shot, too. That, that's a really nice play. Honestly, for 100 bucks, I couldn't have told you what alacrity meant. I've heard the word, and I kind of know when you use it in a sentence, brisk and cheerful readiness. She accepted the invitation with alacrity. That's like PK asking people to the prom back in the day. Um, they word. asked me. <laughs> they asked you. Nice, PK. All right, so uh, should we be that fired up about the Jazz offense? Is it all of that? Does it look – is there anything that makes you say, well, watch for this? No, actually, but there's plenty of fools been made in the preseason, so – I think you better temper some of the enthusiasm just because it's the preseason and, you know, you know, that teams aren't preparing and they aren't prepping and they aren't, you know, so they know there's a sideline pass and now they suddenly part of their transition defense is they go try to take that away. You know, those things aren't being done right now in the NBA. Um, you know, uh, their pick and roll defense last night on Rudy. Well, actually just Lou Williams defense was bad, but that's probably going to be bad in the regular season too. Um, so I, you know, DeAndre Eaton's defense was bad. That was, that'll be bad in the regular season too. Uh, so the Jazz do have the ability to exploit a bad defensive players and take advantage of them because of Quinn's system. Um, the things to be excited about are, you know, Quinn is, Quinn is incredible in the various things he does to get into, into actions. The actions the Jazz take before the primary action are just next level. Um, and they're even, and they're running some new things where Gobert's pick is off the ball as what I would call a mid pin down, and it's not guardable. I don't know what teams are going to do about it. I'm really curious to watch. I can get into that if you want me to and try to play Telestrator on the radio, which is never great. But it's the Quinn's added some features, and those are real. And you know Quinn's ability to do that are real. So that's where you should be excited. And heck, they were really, really good offensively last year, so there's no reason to believe they shouldn't be, and they seem to have found a way to play that's better for everyone involved. From the management perspective, how complex is this Rudy Gobert contract decision? You know, on it's one of two levels. Like, the simplest form is the fan point of view that, like, Rudy's great and sign him. Like, <laughs> we're never getting another one. He's great. He alters our team. Everything we've built around offensive and defensively is based on Rudy. His pick setting is incredible. 
on the offensive end. So when people talk about as a defensive only player, they're just professing their ignorance. On the other end, you are in the roster building business and to sign Rudy is probably going to cost you players. And that's hard to swallow. Um, but that's the reality too. And so any t- anything you can do to try to maintain roster flexibility is, is very important. Um, you know, I think Rudy's really special. I've been, you know, I've been pretty outspoken. I think he's a top 10 player in the league. Um, I think he's a game changer. I think defensive possessions matter as much as offensive possessions. Like I've said all this a million times. I'm not changing any part of that. I just think Rudy's awesome. Uh, and the way he impacts the game is just stunning to me on a nightly basis. And then you add in his commitment to getting better and his energy level. And he's improved dramatically every season. Uh, I, I, I'm 100% in the bag for Rudy Gobert as a franchise-changing player, and I hope we get a deal done. I, I'm not ignoring the ignorance of that, but if there's a sacrifice that has to be made, which there's going to be, when you sign Donovan Mitchell and Rudy Gobert to max contracts, there will be sacrifices that have to be made, and so be it. So how much of this can be framed the way Tim Duncan was framed for years? He takes less. Because so much of contract... Negotiations. I think that's garbage. I, I hate this. Yeah. <laughs> okay, I but so much of contract negotiations, David, and you've been in them, you know it, is the boss sits across from you and says, You're not worth more. That's gonna lead to hard feelings. That can well, be a problem really easily. But if it's A, he took less to give us more flexibility every time management opens their mouth, whether it's an owner, a GM. Dennis Lindsay's got a different title than GM now. I, old school, I think of him as a GM, but that's not the title. That's Jay-Z's title. But the point is, when any of them speak, it's like, Rudy took less to give us more flexibility, as opposed to, you're just not worth it. Right. So, I think, no, I mean, so let me say there's two things to this. One, some of the reports that out there are not right. I don't know a lot. I actually have stayed out of this pretty greatly. But I do know for a fact that Rudy's not asking for the Supermax. So anyone who says that is just flat out making crap up so that they get a lot of clicks. Okay? So that's not true. Um, I only reason I'm going to make my stand on that is I just think that Rudy, you know, you're damaging Rudy's image, which has already been pretty tarnished over the last seven months. I think I'm someone stands up for what's accurate, right? Like, Rudy earned it on the microphone thing. I got it. But on this one, I don't think he's out of line. I just hate the idea that the best of the best are the ones that have to take the cut. I think it's ridiculous. You know what? Like, I'd go to Joe Ingles and Royce O'Neal and everybody else and be like, you know what, guys, the reason you get, like, Royce, you've had the most open looks of any player in the NBA for the last three years because of Rudy Gobert, so you're going to take $3 million less. Like, that's how it should work. It shouldn't be that, like, you're going to Tim Duncan and Rudy Gobert and saying, take less money. Why? Like, you want to know why Joe Ingles shoots 40% from three? Because Rudy's rolling to the rim. And Joe makes the shot. But, like, Rudy's rolling to the rim. And they got to take two guys there, or Rudy dunks. Like, why do the Jazz get the most open looks of anyone in the league? Because Rudy's the best screen setter and rim roller. So, like, I just hate the idea that we're always looking at our best players, though they're supposed to take laps. I think it's ridiculous. <laughs> Tell me about it. You're living my life. <laughs> right. I mean, why should DJ should be taking a cut because you've been carrying him for 20 years? DJ already I did, mean, and PK he, knows that. He's just playing on the radio right now. Speak the truth, <laughs> DJ. Speak the truth. I did. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Good times. Uh, <laughs> 
Tell us about this Yogi Ferrell that the Jazz agreed to a deal with uh, last night. Boy, do I have Yogi Ferrell stories. Right, no, okay. no. <laughs> <laughs> wow. <laughs> Tell me more. <laughs> uh, I'll text you. Uh, no, just kidding. Um, Yogi Ferrell uh, played at Indiana. Um, was He actually was on a 10-day contract for the Portland, the Dallas Mavericks on an ESPN game and went kind of bananas, if you recall, like I think dropped 30 and kind of became a phenomenon. And that's, I mean, he's better, not just because of that, but that's largely kind of kept him engaged and kept him in the league for a while. Um, he's little, but he's a very good shooter. He's, uh, I think he's predominantly going to be G League for the Jazz. Um, the G League has got a little bit more prowess for big men, but good point guards really make the difference. Mark Taylor has shown a really good understanding of how to build a G League team. as G League general manager of the year last year, and the stars were great. And so, you know, I think that's larger the play, but also the Jazz lack some depth there. Um, and if they had to, they could go get him. But if I, I think he'll end up being, I, I don't know, actually. Um, I'm guessing it's a G League play, but maybe not. I mean, we have seemingly have a few. And frankly, I'm super impressed by the kid out of Florida State, Trent Forrest, who the Jazz got as a two-way player, undrafted, like really, really impressed by um, – by his just feel for the game and his impact and kind of his just general prowess. Now, he, the reason he get drafted is he shot like 24% from three. That's certainly problematic. But he must have mammoth hands because he's throwing passes off the dribble with power and speed that in one motion that are really high level. He, I, I like him. I think if he can figure out how to be a decent shooter, he'll be an NBA rotation player. And he's big, six four, like two ten, six seven wingspan. Well, all of this is the future, right? Because as guys play well and are worth more money, and assuming the deal gets done with Rudy, whatever the number is, whether he gets eighty five percent, ninety percent, ninety five percent, or whatever of the of uh, you know the maximum allowable, they're going to need these inexpensive guys. I, I've kind of pegged the number as two. Two of your top eight have to be inexpensive. Is that ballpark right? Yeah, might uh, maybe might be maybe three. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, if you're playing with $30 million in two spots, and then I would guess that you have another player or two that's in the 20s, um, you know, right? So you got Boyan at 20, you got Joe at 15 or 18, and you got something else. You probably need Mia One and Elijah Hughes to be two of your rotation players, maybe two of your eight and three of your 10. You're right, DJ. DJ, you're always right. I'm not always right, but in this one I am. You're so good. Oh, stop. (laughs) uh, I already got to deal with PK. I don't need you to. (laughs) PK claimed his spot first. How tiring is it to carry PK every day? No, you're just mixing. You're just stirring the pot now. We all see through you. (laughs) Come on. All right. Uh, any other any uh, any predictions you want to make? I, I'm interested in who's overrated in the West and who's underrated. I'm not buying Phoenix like everybody else is. I just think. Well, first of all, I I mean, just a little bit to how great Rudy Gobert is. I just thought like their whole season is bending on DeAndre Ayton, and I'm just not there. I just don't see it. Um, just the level of detail that you have to be to be that great a big man, and both offensively and defensively. And I just 
You know, and that's to me like that's where Rudy's incredible. Like here's a seven foot one center that is a number one pick of the draft. Like this you're if you're gonna like for people who are like, Oh, trade Rudy's too expensive, like that's your dream case scenario. You go get the number one pick and find a replacement. And then you've got DeAndre Ayton. Like who's great who like he's gonna average twenty and ten. Who impacts winning, in my opinion, none. Um, you know, so I think that I'm a little slow on them. Um, I do love the Clippers. Uh, they've lost some physicality, and without Morris and Ibaka last night, they've lost more physicality. But I do, I do love the Clippers. I think they might have the best team in the West. The Lakers are certainly loaded, but I like that Clipper team a lot. Um, Lou Williams is a problem for them. He was a problem for them last year. I, I think they've got the depth to solve it, but maybe not. I mean, if your three main primary ball handling guards are Patrick Beverly, Lou Williams, and uh, Reggie Jackson, that might be a problem. So maybe I'm a little high on them. Um, I'm curious to watch Denver. Uh, Jokic is awesome. I mean, just truly incredible. Um, but they they feel a little bit like us last year where we lost Ricky Rubio, Jay Crowder, and Derek Favors. And I thought we got better in a lot of positions, but we collectively lost physicality. And they lost Torrey Craig, Mason Plumley, and Jeremy Grant, and they collectively lost athleticism. And I feel like when you lose a lot of players who have the same kind of thing, that could be a problem. But frankly, Denver's done an amazing job of drafting and collecting talent. And um, P.J. Dozier will probably be good. And Michael Porter Jr. has the biggest upside of anyone out there. So... They might be fine. So those those would be my quick thoughts. Um, we might be really good. I mean, you know, we can't have been any better in the preseason. We might be really good. Derek was Derek was so good last night. Um, you know, Joe Ingles is like our sixth best player all of a sudden. Like, it's pretty good. Uh, we're, we, our top eight guys that we're rolling out there and now using the ninth guy as a situational substitution, which is I saw, which is what I think we did last night, and I'll bet we do moving forward. Um uh, it's pretty remarkable. It's really it's a heck of a, that team's been built pretty nicely. It's it's a well done job by everyone involved. I don't know who you're identifying as the ninth guy, but I think the ninth guy is really the seventh or eighth guy because you're not going to have everybody all year long. We're seeing positive tests. You got the normal number of sure. NBA injuries, which will probably be even worse because there's going to be so little downtime. Thirty seven games in seventy one days. Uh, Quinn's barely going to practice. They're not going to practice, and they're not going to shoot around yeah. for testing purposes. Last, uh, well, I mean not. Always, but shoot-arounds have become uh, – I was talking to a guy with another team yesterday, and he was explaining to me how shoot-arounds have become difficult because if you're on the road and make – you know, he did point out to me that the NBA is changing protocol. You know, as things go, it's such a – they've done such a great job. So this could change. But um, what he was basically saying is if you're on the road, you go down and get tested. They then take the tests and send them to whatever the testing facility, often at the practice facility, is for that team. Not until everybody is negative can you get to that can you get on the floor and have shoot around. So like let's just assume that the, the drive time to the arena and the testing process takes 90 minutes. Does that seem fair? Well, like if you're shooting around at 11 so you'd have to test at like 8:30 and then find out at 10 that everyone's negative and then get on the bus and go to shoot. Like, you're suddenly, it's becoming, uh, you know. So I think there's going to be a real limit in practice because of the schedule and a real limit in shoot-around because of testing. And the fact that the Jazz are a veteran team that's in a system and already knows it could be a tremendous advantage. 
David Locke, we appreciate it as always. Thanks for joining us. We will talk to you next week, at which point there'll be a game in the books. Are you guys Wait, aware? Wait, no, 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 no. Next week is Christmas. Never mind. <laughs> are you two aware of how good you are? No. Okay, no, exp- I'll make sure I let you know. Explain it to us. <laughs> you got all the time in the world. Go ahead. DJ, everyone's buddy, conversational, connected, subtly an insider, very relatable, PK with a little edge, a deep dive reporter, willing to say what has to be said. There's nothing better. It's DJ and PK, 6 to 10 every morning, right here on 12A The Zone and 97.5 FM. David Locke, The Zone's promotions director, joins us weekly. Maybe we'll do something different with you, David, because the holidays, the next two Fridays are holidays. We can't go three weeks without David Locke opinions and insight. Yeah. True. Yeah. It is an honor to come on with the show with you. I will come on anytime you want. All as right. long as it doesn't impact the powder day. <laughs> right. Okay. That was honest. All right. Thanks, David. See you. Coming up, Blake Anderson, Utah State's new football coach, is going to join us at 9 o'clock. Aggie fans, get ready. He's stepping into a very unusual situation. We will talk with him coming up at 9 o'clock right here on 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. The Big Show. It's a big deal. With Gordon Monson and Jake Scott. Tim McMahon of ESPN refuting some reports. Rudy had dug in his heels on the Supermax deal. Apparently that is not the case. I have gone to the highest source about it. Well, not the highest. In prayer? <laughs> Talk to the highest sources and they slammed the door on my face. And they said, <laughs> who is this? No, I, I have responsibly inquired and have not been told exactly what's going on there. Was that your really long way of saying that they did didn't tell you anything. A lot of build up there. <laughs> no delivery. Can you imagine me having a pipeline to the man upstairs? Well, you'd oh. have much better sports opinions if it was true. <laughs> the Big Show. Weekdays from 2 to 7 on 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. DJ PK brought you apart by Mark Miller Subaru. Well, David Locke just dropped a lot of jazz knowledge on us, PK. And the question of the morning, a Supermax deal to Rudy Gobert would take up 35% of the jazz salary structure. What should the jazz do? He threw out a lot of stuff there about uh, Gobert, how he fits in, what he accomplishes, how he makes everybody else better. And then I find the comparison... I was like all around it, but I wasn't spot on the bullseye. You know, the Rockets committed to the three first. It helped them in a lot of ways. They won a lot of games and a lot of playoff series, but it didn't get them to the title. You're good at making threes, but can you make them in the biggest moment with the most pressure, especially if things aren't going well? And can the Jazz do that? Anything Locke said, where do you want to jump in? Because I know you spent the last break mulling it over. Yeah, see, that's where I think it's to their advantage that, you know, I'm all for the three as long as it's going. You watch the Clippers game last night. Okay, everyone's in just rhythm, and they're just dropping. You're shooting 40-some percent. Well, that's an absolute no-brainer. Yeah, and build your team with that capability. We all understand that. Playoffs are somewhat of a different animal, and we remember those Rockets, and that drives me nuts, man, when no one's hitting to just keep jacking it up. It, it, it's at sometimes it's a great shot, but not all the time because shooting comes and goes to an extent, mm-hmm. right? Yep. And some nights if whatever the reason is, 
I don't know if it's cosmic or what, but from sometimes the shot just isn't going. So don't rely on that all the time without question, hands down, do it. No, I'm, I'm dead set against that. Where I think it plays to the Jazz advantage is Mitchell has the ability now to do a lot of different things offensively. And so with him, he has that ability to put a little move on and get, say, the free throw line, basically the 15-footer, not literally the free throw line itself, but the 15-foot jump shot. So don't eliminate the mid-range game completely and certainly don't eliminate taking to the rim. And that's where I think Mitchell, what we saw in Orlando in August, is really a great opportunity. I'm so looking forward to what would it be, uh, May or June, whenever the playoffs are going to be next season. I mean, traditionally they're in May, but I guess supposed to be pushed back a little bit now. Uh, I'm real excited to see him do that. So I think they're set up offensively to be proficient. And at the same time, if I've got Bogdanovich open, he's wide open, feet are set. I'm not sure I care if he's missed his last 20. <laughs> right. Now, he's not going to do that, obviously. I'm making a point. But he is so good that I am very, very comfortable in that situation. So I think that that whole notion of, hey, you've hit a cold stretch here from the three-point line. You know, it's, it's 0 for 5, it's 1 for 8, it's something like that. We know Mitchell can get to the hoop, get on top of it, throw it down. And Clarkson. And, and I, I, I'm getting it right. We also know that Mitchell can finish below the rim in traffic. So that's two different ways to score. Clarkson, off the dribble, he's so hard to stay in front of. He can get to the rim. And you can run a pick and roll with Jody and, uh, with uh, Joe Ingles. And you can run it with either Gobert or Favors, regardless who's on the floor. You can get to the rim either with Joe or with the big guys for a dunk. Uh, so I think there's a lot of possibilities when they go cold from outside, how they can score inside. Now, even if they don't score, any of those guys getting to the rim and collapsing the defense, at least you'll create a wide open shot for someone, whether it's a you know 15 foot favor shot or a 15 foot Mitchell shot. Uh, even if you have to go back out to three. And Conley open. too. Yeah, yeah. And Conley's floater wouldn't be my first choice, but if he's got it going you know it can change the flow of a game. And he also can hit the open shot. Yes. I mean, if his feet are set and he's wide open. I'll take it. And he's not yeah. on the move, uh, he's going to shoot 40% minimum. Yeah. If he's just standing there and the ball comes to him and he's open, he'll shoot 40% minimum, probably much higher, actually. So and you look at Clarkson, his ability to drive – uh, and and maintain his dribble. The guy's like a combo of Curly Neal and Steve Nash uh, when he's dribbling like that. He has an uncanny ability, and he's found. And I didn't follow him completely when he was in the with the Lakers in Cleveland. Certainly, very virtually nothing with Cleveland Lakers. Yes, but he's found his niche with this team, and this team has found something in him, and it works. So he's available there. So you have all that stuff going on for you, and I'm I'm pretty confident that that will work, you know. And then you got this Gobert thing, and Locke is consistent in his praise and belief in Gobert's ability to help you win games, and I agree. I agree with that. To what level? does he want to take up as much of the cap? You know, how much do you need for the sake of winning? 
And how much is it? Is it? Oh, it's not about the money. It's the respect. And you know, they quickly and willingly, and obviously, and correctly for that matter, gave the money to Mitchell. Absolute one hundred percent. So the difference, right? yeah. So the difference in these two, in my mind, is that because Mitchell's a younger player, the the max salary. Uh, there's there's different levels yeah. based on how long you've been in the league. So Miller uh, uh, Mitchell's maximum is below his market value significantly. If the, if he right was now. a free agent, and if there's no restricted unrestricted, and if there's no cap, teams would be paying him over thirty million dollars. There would be multiple teams offering him more than thirty. So they could give him the max, and he could take the max, and everyone could acknowledge. Well, he's probably worth five or ten million more on the open market. Now, once you start playing, paying players forty, fifty million dollars, and yeah, if you look at Ante Tekempo's deal, by the time you get to the end of it, I think that last number is like fifty-one five or fifty-two or something like that. Well, he's not underpaid by ten million bucks. <laughs> you know, some of these younger Max guys are still underpaid by five or ten million on what they get on the and open market. I understand market. that, yeah. right? So I think the thing with Gobert and Log makes a good point. As everybody comes back up, it's like, hey, you've been here, you want to win a title, we paid you a ton of money. If we're going to do this, you need to take a little less. You know, it can't be something that goes to just Gobert. But can he set the standard? Can it be acknowledged publicly? And will that take some of the sting out of? looking around the league and saying other guys make more. Because, you know, nobody really needs the money. Ingles has spelled that out for us multiple times. Nobody really needs this money. but well, That there, much money. Yeah. yeah, right. But there is an ego factor that, hey, I am I not saying. good? Wait, you think I'm the 25th best player in the league? Knock it off. No, not even close. So, you know, how does the team set that narrative up in public? Because it's the truth. And it shouldn't I, just I be up to the it, star. It, when you and then when you get people involved and you mention the word ego, well, yeah. people ego is sort of synonymous. Yesterday, I'm watching the baseball channel, right, and they're talking about free agents going to Toronto, uh, and uh, they're talking about DJ Lemayu, a, a hitter used to play in Colorado, now with the Yankees, and he's a free agent, blah blah blah. So they asked Dan Plezak, the old reliever. Uh, how can they get players to Toronto? Because he played in Toronto. He's talking about having to go through and the exchange rate and all mm-hmm. that stuff they have to go through. How how can you get players to Toronto? You know what he said? Pay them the most cash. Well. <laughs> 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 so, like, duh. Yeah. <laughs> go so, ahead and argue with you know, it. I that, dare you. <laughs> breaking news. Right. Yeah. And, and it, it just made me laugh when he said that. And it's it's just so true because you start getting people involved in ego and you know, well you were so quick to give Donovan the maximum you can give yes because he's younger it's lesser but it's yeah. the point being that you didn't even hesitate and now and I'm not saying this is the case but you can see where it gets involved well you're hesitating to give me right. that max hey. I mean what's the deal here come on I mean you're not showing me the the maximum amount of love well the reality is if you give me thirty percent instead of thirty five percent there's nothing in the world that I can't buy right. with that that I could buy with an extra 5%, whatever it is. I'm just picking these numbers, 28%, whatever it might be. You know, I can whatever they're going to give him, he's going to be able to afford a thousand times over. But so it's 
more than that in a sense and how do they do that what do they know is available out there for them because then they have to build the roster it's the ultimate jigsaw puzzle man and to think of all these things that you have to be involved in it sort of even gives me a headache just thinking that if i were in those guys position how i would be able to think of all this stuff and the great thing about it as i see it is that if you give whatever you give gobert I firmly believe, and I think we all do, he's going to respond. You're not going to have to worry about him, well, I got my money now, so you know I don't care as much, or uh, I can slack off here. Or, you know, he used DeAndre Ayton uh, locked in. He said how DeAndre Ayton didn't guard the pick and roll well in the preseason games that they played. Well, he's probably not going to guard the pick and roll well in the regular season. And I listened to the Hatches station down in Phoenix, Ryan Hatch, and the, 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 the hosts constantly crack on Ayton's desire. And, like, he can give you 20 and 10, but that's not good enough because he should be giving you more. You know what I mean? So it's not about what he gives you, about what he can give you. My point with Gobert is I don't think we have to worry about that. And I think that whatever he can give you is what he's going to strive his very best to give you. So I think you can feel good about that. Even if you give him, say, hypothetically, you gave him the max, you can feel good about he in turn is going to give you the max of what he has. I think the, um, you know, they were small things. But they were big things. You know, clearly, and Dennis Lindsay probably only told us a few of them, but he said, you guys report on what you see. But we're looking for, which is as it should be, right? But we are looking for uh, what we don't see. There were some things they wanted Rudy to eliminate, and he listed a couple of them, going after the remates, uh, after the uh, referees, always being in his teammates' ear. And if you combine those, you get remates. Um and so there are these things he knocked off that they think are going to pay dividends down the road. And they're little things, but they add up and they become really important. And the fact Gobert did them underlines what you just said. You know, that's not going to be the problem. I really think the problem is, are they going to have the money down the stretch? Because to go back to the question about Toronto, how do you get people to Utah? You pay them the most money. Right? right now, they're slowly changing the narrative, and Favors coming back when he'd gone away from a year is another thing they can point to when they're talking to people. Well, Derek was somewhere else. Uh, he was in obviously grew up in Atlanta, and he was with the Nets, and the Jazz traded for him. And he was here a long time, and he left and he goes to New Orleans for a year. But as soon as he's a free agent, that wasn't on his terms. As soon as he's a free agent, he comes back. Why don't you go ask him why? You know, I can tell you why, but, but go ask him. You know, it's one more piece of the puzzle to tell people, but you still need to pay them the most money. It's a very narrow window to make life-changing money. So, of course, guys are going to try to make life-changing money. So they need to have that financial piece of the puzzle available. And so the question is, how big is that gap? How much more has to be bridged? And are they going to get this thing done in the next month? (laughs) And there we are. All right, when we come back, uh, it's a big night for college basketball. There's a lot of games tonight, and uh, I think there was an interesting uh, tweet I saw yesterday. I want to get your thoughts on this, PK. I'm I'm pretty sure I know what you're going to say, but I want to hear it. And then Blake Anderson, Utah State's new football coach, joins us at 9 o'clock. Stay with us. Number one. 
The Zone Sports Network is Utah's number one choice for sports radio in Utah. From DJ and PK to Hanson Scotty and the Big Show with Gordon Monson and Jake Scott, The Zone continues to dominate the competition. Thank you to all of you that continue to make The Zone Sports Network Utah's highest rated, most listened to sports station. Your home for the best coverage of the teams you're passionate about is right here. 97.5, 1280 The Zone. In the Zone Sports Network. DJ and PK brought to you in part by Syringa Networks. Syringa Networks, home to complete business telecom and IT solutions, backed by an industry leading SLA that guarantees the uptime your business needs. It's effective communications for 21st century Utah. Get started now at syringanetworks.net. PK, I saw a tweet from Josh Newman. We've had him on the show. He writes for the Salt Lake Tribune, he covers the Utes. He's on the yeah, Ute good, beat. And he was doing on a great job, I might add. He is doing a very good job. And it's one of the reasons I make sure I read his tweets. He's very detail-oriented. Yeah. Uh, he's in that time of year where, you know, you're trying to cover two teams at once, and that's difficult. He's and, a great hire yeah, like Joe Baird. He's doing well. Uh, and we'll have him on the show again, if he'll come on. Uh, and he tweeted out, on a Zoom call, Larry Kristovak is defending the Pac-12, and he genuinely sounds surprised the league does not have a top 25 team. Quote, it's a bunch of garbage to me the way the voting goes. Close quote. And then Josh adds to his tweet, the Pac-12 is 1-9 versus Ken Palm top 50 teams. And then he, he later went back and quote tweeted himself and said, I'm having trouble gathering myself after listening to this. What? <laughs> Question mark. That cracked me up. That was what really got me going. Now, the fact is the Pac-12 is having trouble in high-profile uh, games. Does that mean that they should have zero top 25 teams? You know, is there a case? I haven't checked the strength of schedule of all these other 25 teams, who they've played home and away. But the bigger point is the Pac-12 isn't good. And if you were going in the air hoping the Pac-12 was going to have four, five, maybe six NCAA tournament teams, the answer is no, they're going to have four, three, or two NCAA tournament teams. And I think the big the bigger point here is for the Utes. You know they want to be a tournament team, and as you see that shrink, uh, that's going to be a real problem for them. And well, I, actually, I think it might be better for them if the teams aren't as good. They'll get at least two, if not four. And so, if you finish in the top four, that's going to strengthen your case. You think the Utes are a top four team in the league? I don't know. I'm saying. But if the league is good, then if I have doubts about them being a top four team, then it's going to be harder for them being a top four. If the league isn't as good, well, it's easier for for me to see that they can be a top four team. I read into that, and this is me reading into it, is that uh, Larry sees the window for the NCAA tournament uh, pinch and shut on his team before it even gets started. He's had. Yeah, I'm you not know, so sure about that. Oh, really? Yeah. They, they haven't played enough games. I got to see some more games. Yeah, but I think and, it's and the, I can't see games against Idaho or Idaho State. That I, that that's doesn't, doesn't really count for me. Yes, but I think that's the point: is that their chance to play a bunch of high-profile games have taken a hit because of the way the season is built and because of the fact that they had so many positive tests early on. So he's relying on the strength of schedule from other teams, and if they don't have that respect, him beating in the conference 
is going to devalue the league, not pump up his team. Well, yeah, well, okay, but the conference, I mean, Oregon got a player back. Mm-hmm. The Sun Devils don't have maybe any big guys, and one of their guys is Bagley, the son, brother of the kid from the Kings, mm-hmm. and he's been out three games, and they've lost two of the three. So there's some extenuating factors that go into it that you got to d- dig deeper than just raw numbers. They'll get at least three teams in. I'm, I'm pretty confident of that, maybe four. All right, DJ and PK, it's 97.5 at 1280 The Zone. We're talking with the Aggies' new football coach, Blake Anderson, next. Stay with us.